Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold. The American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations present Mr. President. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our country, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House, dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. The true human stories of Mr. President. Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It's evening, and only one window shows a light, the study on the ground floor. We find ourselves in the corridor outside his office. Good evening. I'm the President's secretary. Won't you go in, please? Some visitors for you, Mr. President. Hello. Sit down, won't you? I wonder if you think, as some people do, that the president can do just about anything he wants to in the government. Well, tonight I'm going to prove to you that he can't, with a little-known story that really happened to one of our presidents. Later on, I'll tell you which president it was, but meanwhile, see if you can't guess. I came back to the White House one evening from a brisk walk. And in my study, I found my secretary waiting. Oh, Miss Sarah, you needn't have waited for me. I was afraid Mr. Jay would arrive before you got back, Mr. President. Oh? Besides, I uh, thought I might talk to you a moment. Two moments, if you like, Miss Sarah. (laughs) You know, you've been working very hard without a rest. Without a rest? Just this minute, I came back from a nice long walk. Better than a nice long walk. Don't you think you need a vacation, even a short one? Well, I don't dare take a vacation now, Miss Sarah. Excuse me, but why not? Oh, this isn't the right time. Excuse me again, but why not? Well, for one thing, the trouble John Hay is bringing me. It may last for months. Then right after that, you do need a vacation, Mr. President. Miss Sarah, I don't know about other jobs, but in this one, you don't take vacations when you need them. You take them when you feel the right moment has come. I'm afraid that isn't a very sensible view. Well, I might be going away just at the wrong moment. I'll tell you what I'll do, Miss Sarah. If you'll stop worrying over the vacations I don't take, I promise to take one. When, Mr. President? Well, I feel the right moment has come. (laughs) Don't despair, Miss Sarah. It doesn't sound very sensible, I know, but it it is, really. (laughs) I'll have to keep asking you about that right moment. You'll surely tell me, won't you? Oh, believe me, Miss Sarah. I'll be delighted to. (laughs) Probably, Mr. J. Please come in, Mr. Jay. Thank you, Miss Sarah. Oh, hello, Mr. Jay. Sit down, won't you? Thank you, Mr. President. I'm afraid I'm bringing you a political hot potato. Are you sure it's as bad as that? No matter what you do about it, sir, you'll be risking political suicide. As for myself, frankly, I'm disgusted and disillusioned. But why? When I took this assignment to investigate corruption in the Federal Customs Service, I knew there were millions of dollars passing through our post offices in import duties, but I didn't believe it was as bad as people were saying. 
And it's worse? In the South, Atlanta, New Orleans, and Mobile. In the West, San Francisco. In the East, Boston, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and worst of all, New York. Well, I'm hardly surprised at that. Here's the written report of our investigating committee, Mr. President. The only promise I can make is that it's far from pleasant reading. Mm, it's a fat report, Mr. J. And not quick reading, either. The corruption is of two kinds. First of all, many customs agents prepare fraudulent records of imported goods. They deliberately undervalue imports so that importers will ship their goods through those ports in preference to others that are run honestly. The government is losing millions every year in duties that ought to be paid and are not. Mm -hmm. And the second type of corruption? In New York City alone, we found over 200 political hangers-on on the customs payroll. Ward healers, riffraff. 200 in one city, sir. Not one ever does any work. And on top of that, their salaries are taxed by the political machine to raise party funds. Mm -hmm. Well, in New York, that machine is of my own party. You see what I meant by political hot potato, sir. Mr. Jane, when I came into office, I promised an honest and efficient federal government. I'm going to keep my promise. Tell me how I can help, Mr. President. Well, the real issue here, Mr. Jay, is not corruption. It's this. To whom does the power to appoint federal officials belong? To the president or to men like Senator Lewis of New York? Obviously, he's the man who's responsible, but uh, I uh, didn't know if... If, if I'd go into a fight with him. <laughs> I've been waiting for the right moment and the right ammunition. And you've given me both. Uh, tell me, who are the chiefs of customs in New York? Now, the names are in the report. Mm -hmm. uh, here they are. George S. Parker and William B. Rice. Uh-huh. Uh, Miss Sarah... Yes, Mr. President? Uh, Miss Sarah, write to Mr. George S. Parker and Mr. William B. Rice at the Custom House in New York City and say that I want to see them here in this room next Tuesday morning. Mr. President, I'm George Parker. How do you do? And this is my associate in the Custom House, William Rice. Mr. President. Uh, gentlemen, I'm not going to beat around the bush. You've let the Customs House of New York turn into the worst sinkhole of corruption in the entire country. Someone has been telling you lies, sir. Mr. President, forgive my friend Rice. He takes things seriously that don't need to be taken seriously. Mr. Parker, don't you think an accusation of graft and corruption should be taken seriously? It may be, as my friend Rice says, that someone is misleading you. Do you see this report? Looks like the size of a book, isn't it? Hmm? Believe me, it's more interesting than most books. I, um... I should be happy to read it, sir. Well, I'll give you a synopsis instead. There's a section on the customs service in Philadelphia. Others on New Orleans, Boston, San Francisco. Perhaps you'll be flattered to learn that the New York Customs House has the largest section. Mr. President, I'm a self-respecting man. I resent your attitude, sir. Forgive my friend Rice, Mr. President. You were saying... One fact alone will persuade you that I have the facts. You've put 200 men on the federal payroll as customs agents who do no work, who are nothing but political hangers-on belonging to your political machine. Our political machine, Mr. President. You, you flatter us. Well, Senator Lewis is then. Forgive me, Mr. President, but why are you telling this to, to us? Because I want you both to resign immediately. Resign? This is a very insulting attitude for you to take toward two public servants. Mr. Rice, I wonder if there's anything at all I could say that would really insult you. Now, see here, both of you. I promised the people to clean out corruption. 
I'm attacking you and New York first because it's the worst situation. And the biggest. I want those political loafers off the federal payroll. Political loafers? And I want you off the federal payroll, too. If you'll forgive me, sir, I'm afraid we we can't resign. Well, I have paper and pen and ink right here. But you didn't appoint us, sir. Senator Lewis did. Senator Lewis overstepped his limits. Now, will you two resign? I certainly will not. How about you, Parker? We feel, Mr. President, that we are responsible to the senior senator from New York... If there are people on the payroll of your organization that other people think shouldn't be there, well, sir, difference of opinion is what makes the world go round. Then the question is clear, isn't it? Will the world go around in Senator Lewis's direction or in mine? Good day, gentlemen. Mr. President, Senator Lewis. Oh, thank you, Miss Aaron. Come in, Senator. Well, Mr. President, no doubt you were surprised to see me. No, Senator Lewis, I'm not. But I thought there is nothing so quick or satisfying as a heart-to-heart talk, huh? True enough, Senator. Please sit down. Thank you, sir. You know, there's one trouble with small men, Mr. President. Small in size or small in spirit? Small in spirit, I mean, of course, sir. Specifically... I refer to Messrs. Rice and Parker of the New York Customs House. They meet the definition of small men perfectly. But what did you say the trouble with them was? Small men, in my observation, sir, invariably get excited when there's little to get excited about. Do you regard yourself as a small man, Senator? (laughs) What man does? Why? Your man Parker said almost the same thing the other day. Some people, he said, take things seriously that don't need to be taken seriously. No, Parker, often flatters me. Or tries to by imitating me. But don't you agree, Mr. President? To what? That there's hardly anything in this situation that makes excitement necessary. (laughs) Your man Parker also said, it's difference of opinion that makes the world go around. I agree with him, but not with you. I don't understand. I'll make it plain. The New York Customs Service is a national disgrace, and I want it cleaned out. Facts, Mr. President, facts. I have enough facts to jail hundreds of men in almost every major port city in the country. But equally important, your New York state political machine is forcing federal employees who have spotted their jobs through you to pay a regular percentage of their wages to the party. You and I belong to the same party, sir. And every party always needs funds. That's the wrong way to get them. Mr. President, I have devoted my life to one great principle, the good of the party. I will go to New York tomorrow myself and talk to Parker and Rice. And I promise you, if the situation is as bad as you say, I shall leave no stone unturned to correct it. I look forward to reporting to you on Wednesday after I've attended the meeting of the Senate Committee on Commerce. Good day, sir. Gentlemen, a letter from the President to the Senate Committee on Commerce. Sirs, I am removing from office the present collector and assistant collector of the New York Customs House. What? The uh, letter goes on. I herewith send you for your consideration and approval the names of the two men whom I will appoint in their places. Uh, Clerk, just one moment, please. Yes, Senator Lewis. Did I hear you correctly? Well, sir, I... That document has come to this committee from the president? 
he's going to remove Parker and Rice and appoint two other men? It's impossible. There's nothing to be alarmed about, Lewis. Yes, I know that, Senator, but unfortunately... You know this committee will not approve this change? Senator, I am just beginning to realize that we have a sly man to deal with over there in the White House. (laughs) Sly, Lewis? What do you mean? The day before yesterday, he sat behind his desk and let me think that there was no cause for real alarm. And no sooner did I walk out from his study than he prepared this ridiculous document. Well, I see that I've got to try other tactics with him. Other tactics altogether. see we misunderstood each other when I was here the other day. I don't think I misunderstand you, Senator Lewis. On Monday in this very room, you led me to think that you would permit me to settle the Customs House situation. I didn't lead you to think anything, Senator. But you tried to lead me. Won't you sit down? No, thank you. Well, if you must make a speech... I'm not here in a mood of levity, Mr. President. You seem to be bound to make an issue of the Customs Houses. And if you do, sir, it'll be making the most costly mistake of your administration. Senator, I don't think it's a mistake to give the people an honest federal service. What the people don't know won't hurt them. Besides, all that can be cured. As I told you, I was in New York. I spoke to Parker and Rice. I made them see a little of your feelings. I wonder what you think my feelings are, Lewis. They have assured me that the small politicians who somehow got on the payroll will be removed. What more can you want? That isn't going to be enough for me, Senator. Senator... Greed for power is a terrible thing, Mr. President. (laughs) Well, you should know, Senator. What? Listen, Senator. The great broad issue here is simply this. Who is to control appointments to federal service? The president or individuals like yourself? But, Mr. Just a moment. I'm responsible for all federal services. The power to govern them must lie in my hands, not in the hands of state machines. Mr. President, if you tackle that issue, you're cutting your political throat. I am very powerful in the Senate. Most of the senators of our party, but you'll turn the majority of your own party against you. Don't you want to be nominated for second term? Senator, you ought to encourage me to cut my own political throat. Then you might get the presidential nomination. I don't want it. All right, if that's your pose. I'm thinking of peace in the party, that's all. This morning, my committee voted down your recommendation. I warn you to let the matter rest. You warn me? Don't try to force those recommendations out of my committee onto the floor of the Senate. Why not? You'll be defeated there, too, emphatically. Not only will the Senate rally to its own defense, but my friends Parker and Rice are very popular men among our party leaders. Senator, can't you see that the government is not a private hunting preserve for politicians and public servants? It belongs to us. It doesn't belong to us. The Senate speaks for the people, and that's the power you seek to defy, Mr. President. If you prolong this battle and insist on bringing it to the floor of the Senate, well, I promise you one sure thing, sir. Defeat. Senator Lewis? Yes. I'm Rodney of Central News Syndicate. May I speak to you for a minute? I'm on my way into the Senate, Rodney. Uh, The president's resolution to remove Parker and Rice and name two new men to the Customs Service is coming before the Senate this morning, isn't it, Senator? It may. A number of senators who are in favor of the resolution expect it to be passed. Uh, Got any comment? Just one, Rodney. Don't count any votes until after I've made my speech.
notice taken on this measure, I wish to point out one fact. My fight to preserve authority in my state is also the fight of every other senator. In seeking to strike at me and my power to make federal appointments, the president also strikes at every one of you. Properly speaking, this motion deserves to be tabled and buried. However, since it is a matter close to the president's heart, we will vote on it. Will the honorable senator from New York permit a question? Certainly, senator. I believe this matter can be settled by a show of hands and a voice vote. I agree with my honorable colleague, a voice vote. You all know the question. Are Parker and Rice to be removed and two other men appointed in defiance of the Senate? All in favor, say aye. Aye! Aye. 25 in favor... All against, say nay. Miss Sarah. Oh, yes, Mr. Rodney. I want to know if the president has any statement to make. On what, Mr. Rodney? Uh, his motion for two new customs chief in New York. He's defeated on the floor of the Senate, Miss Sarah. 25 for and 31 against. I don't believe he'll have any comment now, Mr. Rodney. He started a big fight, Miss Sarah, and he's losing. He's got to say something. Yes, of course. But he may not want to say it just now. Mr. President, about your vacation... Oh, that... Isn't this the right moment? Now? How can I go away now? But the New York customs situation has ended. Surely you have time now. Time, time. But the situation has not ended, Miss Sarah. I somehow hoped it was, Mr. President. Because Senator Lewis won a narrow victory over me last week? That was only the first round. We'll take the next one, Miss Sarah. I was talking with a number of newspaper men in the press room, Mr. President. The next round is coming very quickly, then. Yes. Next week at the New York State Convention of the Party in Rochester. Lewis will be going up there, of course. Mr. President, this fight may cost you party support for the rest of your term. Yes, Miss Sarah, that's possible. But I haven't given up hope yet. With Senator Lewis? You see, he's really outlived his time. His idea of government, that it doesn't truly belong to the people, is hopelessly out of date. He may realize that and be satisfied with his victory over me this week. And would that mean peace in the party? Probably. And a better chance for me during the next session of Congress. But if Lewis isn't satisfied, well, I'll have to win my fight in some other way. Sarah, I'm going for a walk. Maybe I can think out what he's going to say in Rochester. of reform is only this, to seize more power for himself. Yet, he hides his ambitions, like Caesar, behind the pure white robes of patriotism. Now, do you remember, once a man asked, patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel, is it not? 
Well, that man ignored the enormous possibilities of the word reform. <laughs> Yet, this is the man who hopes that once again he will be our party standard bearer in the next election. Well, I say to you, he will not be. He must not be. <laughs> Sarah, Rodney again. Oh, yes, Mr. Rodney. Uh, the Senate is adjourned for the summer. Will the President answer a few questions for all of us? For instance, Mr. Rodney? Will he resume his fight over the Customs Service in the fall when the House and Senate reconvenes? Any other questions? That was all. I'll ask the President if he'll speak to the press. I'll let you know his answer tomorrow. Thank you, Miss Sarah. Mr. President. Come in, Miss Sarah. The newspapers are anxious for a statement from you. Well, I haven't anything to tell them, Miss Sarah. They want to know if you're giving up the fight with Senator Lewis. And of course, they want to know how you feel about the New York State Convention. Well, I can be honest about that with you, Miss Sarah. I feel very badly. Sometimes I lose faith, Mr. President. In people? In whether or not political parties really represent people. I'm satisfied they do. Better than any other way the world has ever found. Well, here you are sacrificing yourself, your own perfectly legitimate ambitions, your ability, your, your love of country. And the political machine turns against you, laughs at you, and agrees not to support you in the future. Oh, you mustn't take it so hard, Miss Sarah. I've been privileged to be president and to accomplish a little of what I hope to accomplish. Well, if the people want someone else... That's their right. But to reject you because you're trying to help them. Lots of times people don't want to be helped, Miss Sarah. And right now, Lewis can carry the party along with him because he's an able politician. I'm willing to risk my own political future on the bet that he can't carry the country's future along with him, too. Hmm. What are you going to do now, Mr. President? Oh, uh, let sleeping dogs lie. What? I'm not going to do anything. Mr. President, you're not giving up. I'm letting sleeping dogs lie. But Senator Lewis will think he's won. He already thinks so. In fact, I hear he's going to Europe for a vacation. And how about yours? <laughs> if he can take a vacation, why can't you? Well, you see, Miss Sarah, well, how can I take a vacation now when everybody thinks I've been badly defeated? No matter. Well, I'd be severely criticized running away from my responsibilities. This just isn't the right moment, Miss Sarah. I'm sorry, I don't think I understand. By the very fact that Senator Lewis went away. I know this isn't the right moment. But you just said you're going to let sleeping dogs lie. Well, maybe the right moment will come as soon as the sleeping dogs wake up. Huh? Mr. President, the reporter. Oh, fine, Miss Sarah. Come in, gentlemen. Come in, won't you? Oh, yes, nice to see you all again. Uh, gentlemen, I have an important announcement to make. With the consent of the Secretary of the Treasury, I have today removed from office in the Customs House of New York Collector George Parker and Assistant Collector William B. Rice. Well, that is oh, and in their places, to take office tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, I have appointed Ellery Gray and Thomas B. Thompson. And that is all, gentlemen. Uh, oh, Mr. President. Yes. Uh, will you answer any questions? Oh, maybe. What are they? Uh, what is your legal basis for this action, sir? The powers of the presidential office as defined in the Constitution exercised through the Secretary of the Treasury. And uh, 
This is not a new power of the presidential office, is it, Mr. President? No, no, by no means, Rodney. Then, sir, why didn't you remove these men and appoint new ones weeks ago when the Senate was in session? Because the Senate objected, Rodney. <laughs> well, well I, I, I understand that, sir. May I put the question another way? Uh, why did you wait to do it until the Senate was not in session? Well, it's a very shrewd question, Rodney. I did it this way, gentlemen. You remind Senator Lewis and his colleagues that the Senate is all-powerful while it's in session. But the Senate isn't always in session. And the President is. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, and Senator Lewis is vacationing in Europe. Yeah, well, uh, Mr. President, uh, what do you think the Senate will do when it reconvenes in the fall and finds it's been defied? Rodney, I, I don't know. I don't know what the Senate will do. I only know what I hope it will do. Recognize that in making federal appointments... It has usurped the power that did not belong to it. And here's another point, gentlemen. The president is responsible to the people for the execution of the laws. For that, he must control his own administration. I think only in that way, the American people may be sure that federal officials are not greedy payroll eaters, but honest public servants. <laughs> I've just come from the Senate. They sat very late. I see. But you're all out of breath. Uh, well, Senator Lewis was making a speech. Well, that's hardly news, Miss Sarah. I never heard him so bitter. Well, what did he want the Senate to do? Remove the men you appointed. <laughs> put back the others. And not only in New York. In a dozen other cities as well. Well, Miss Sarah. Come on, come on, come on. Don't keep me in suspense. After the vote was taken, he sat down. For the first time, I felt sorry for him. He has outlived his time. The vote was heavily against him. I wonder if this country will ever get rid of political machines entirely. What's all that under your arm, Miss Sarah? Hmm? Oh, oh, I'd forgotten. These are travel folders, Mr. Oh. President. <laughs> Hundreds of them, huh, Miss Sarah? Well, I'll never be able to make up my mind among all these. Oh, I'm perfectly willing to help you work your way through them until you do. In fact, I'll enjoy it. Yes? Well... The thing is, Miss Sarah, how can I, uh, uh, oh, yes, the right moment. You know I'd forgotten all about it. I'm sorry, Mr. President. I'll take the folders away. Oh, now, please don't be angry. Now, I only wanted to read them myself. I had a feeling this was going to happen, so I picked the ones with pretty pictures. I'm going home now and read them and plan the vacation I know you'll never take. Uh, Miss Sarah. Yes? Um... If you'll pick a place with a palm tree and lots of quiet, I'll go. Then this is the right moment? Yes. Well, then it's also the right moment for me to leave before you change your mind. <laughs> Good night, Mr. President. Good night, Miss Sarah. Good night. <laughs> <coughs> Well, I got that vacation after all, because we broke the hold of the political machines on the customs service, and ever since then, it's been a model of efficiency and honesty. So the fight was well worth it. Now, have you guessed yet which president this story happened to? I'll tell you. The time was 1877, <laughs> and Rutherford B. Hayes was Mr. President and lived in the White House. Won't you come and see me again next week? 
I'll have another interesting story for you about Mr. President. Good night. Mr. Arnold appears by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Romance of Rosie Ridge, starring Van Johnson, Thomas Mitchell, and Janet Lee. Mr. President is presented each week by the American Broadcasting Company. It is produced by Robert G. Jennings, directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah is played by Betty Lou Gerson. Tonight's story by Paul R. Milton was suggested by two incidents in the administration of President Rutherford B. Hayes. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adler. Sure to listen again next week when Edward Arnold brings you another story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Company.